1: Portions of the day's programming are reproduced by means of electrical transcriptions or tape recording.
2: This is Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Never say never, but... Never. I plan on leading this team with an unwavering standard.
3: Everybody love everybody.
2: We will call it the golden standard, and this is the standard that will drive this football program to its 12th national championship. With Sean Styers. I like that guy. Hey, what you could do is, is you could have a barbecue on that it's head. Every
0: time, you know what I mean?
2: On Sports Radio, 960 AM, WSBT.
0: He's running down the middle by the 50. He's bare-chested and banging his chest. They're chasing him. They're not going to get him.
1: And now
2: your host, Sean
1: Hey, 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 how's it going? Hope you're having a good day. Rolling into a brand new week, a brand new month for that matter. May's here so we can officially hopefully put winter weather behind us. But you never know, it is still South Bend. But uh, coming out of the NFL draft weekend, a lot of stuff going on over the weekend uh, including Notre Dame's 2002 College World Series reunion. They were out at X Stadium for a couple of games and uh, some other festivities going on. And uh, Pete LaFleur was the uh, Notre Dame baseball SID for that team, sports information director. He and I got to, uh, to both hang out over there with uh, the 2002 team. This weekend and uh, he's uh, he's driving home to Colorado right now, but he's going to join me in about an hour and uh, we'll catch up some things that happened this weekend and some memories of that 2002 team as well. But we're coming out of the draft weekend, Chicago Bears and Indianapolis Colts both seem to be feeling pretty good about their drafts, you know, despite neither of those teams having first round picks and you'll hear from the coaches and GMs of those teams here in a few minutes, but. A weird Notre Dame draft. Um, you know, we went in knowing Cal Hamilton was going to be a first-round pick. He goes number 14 overall. Some say he slid to 14. I think it's a great spot for him. You know, you know, was it a top 10? No. But he's also going to the Baltimore Ravens. And they had a bad, bad pass defense last year. He'll make them better. And he'll also play for a playoff contender right away. Not a team that's trying to be, rebuild its way into playoff contention so I think that's good for him and you know we heard Hamilton's name called early pick number 14 Thursday night how long would we have to wait to hear the next Notre Dame football player's name called well uh, as it turned out it took a long time to hear the next name the second round passed the third round passed Friday night then the draft fired back up for the final day Saturday Saturday there goes the fourth round Still no more Irish players picked. And then finally, a full 150 spots after Kyle Hamilton was drafted, Kyron Williams is picked by the defending Super Bowl champion Los Angeles Rams at pick number 164. Williams goes in the fifth round. It was pretty much crickets the rest of the way as far as the Irish were concerned. Again, kind of weird. Record eight guys drafted last year and then just two players drafted. In uh, seven rounds this year. Fewest Irish players drafted since Deshaun Kaiser and Isaac Rochelle were the only two after the in, the in the 2017 draft. After, the interesting thing, after, of course, that 2017 draft came after Notre Dame had gone 4-8 in 2016. Bottom falls out. Brian Kelly's forced to clean house. All the new coordinators come in. Result, five straight double-digit win seasons. But the 2017 draft, just two Irish players' picked, came after the worst season in the past 15 years, the worst since the Irish went 3-9 and nine under Charlie Weiss back in 2007. So just two guys get drafted this year after going 11-2. and two. And, you know, I know it's fashionable to bash that guy in Baton Rouge right now. I've done it myself, no problem with that. But could there actually be something to that whole last season was... His best coaching job (laughs) at Notre Dame? You know, just think it out loud. But, you know, anyway, uh, Hamilton and Kyron Williams, that is the Irish draft class. Uh, Now, a lot of other guys signed free agent contracts, but Kevin Austin being one of them, he was the guy we thought would get drafted somewhere, but instead he slides right into obscurity and a much longer road to an NFL roster now for Kevin Austin after going undrafted. You know, guy with all the tools, but turns out tools and talent in a good 40 time were not enough. Just even to get him drafted, you know, not even in the first seven rounds undrafted. Hard to overcome that up and down game film that he had. And I felt all along he would have benefited from coming back for another year in school, working with a new wide receiver coach. But, you know, Austin declared for the draft. Now he's going to try to keep himself on the Jacksonville Jaguars roster, you know, because that's where he signed his free agent contract. Now, I'm not saying, you know, again, I felt like he would have benefited from coming back. I still thought he was going to get drafted somewhere, especially especially after, you know, the good showing at the combine. But I, you know, so I'm I, I am a little surprised he didn't get drafted, but, you know. Even if you go in the 6th or 7th round, there are no guarantees there in terms of making a roster. And you're still not making, you know, 1st or 2nd round money. Obviously, you're not making 1st round money. You're not even making 2nd or 3rd round money that late. And now you're a free agent sign and you're hoping to stick. So the road is going to be long. But uh, a bunch of other guys from Notre Dame signed free agent contracts as well. Jack Cohn with the Colts. Seems like a good situation for him there. Myron Tongavaloa-Mosa with the Raiders. Drew White with Washington. Kurt Heinish with Houston. And Isaiah Pryor with the New Orleans Saints. So good luck to all those guys because, again, it is not easy going that free agent route. But that doesn't mean you can't stick. You know, some guys fare better than others. But uh, good luck to all those guys. We'll see how that goes. But, again, just two guys drafted. But now you got the Bears and the Colts. Neither of them had first-round picks. So, they really had to go to work Friday and Saturday, both of those teams, because they've got, you know, the Bears, you know, had the bigger challenge of the two, because they've got the new general manager, they've got a new head coach, second-year quarterback, Justin Fields, they're still trying to figure out. So, Ryan Poles comes over from the Chiefs, first time running a, a team, Matt Eberflus, former defensive coordinator, first time as a head coach in the, you know, being a big part of a draft like that, and so... You know, Ryan Poles, though, says we're not going to stand Pat. He completed four trades that produced five additional draft picks Saturday to raise the Bears' total picks from three to eight selections on Saturday alone, and they up it to 11 overall draft picks by swapping some stuff around. It is the most picks the Bears have had in a draft class since they had 12 back in 2008, and here is Ryan Poles.
3: You know, as you all saw, we were able to – really turn those three picks that we had today uh, in eight, um, which just gave us a lot more ammunition to bring in more players to compete and make this roster more competitive. And I truly believe that when you, when you increase the amount of competition, you get the best out of everybody. Uh, it also gives us a high hit rate of, of players, you know, to bring onto the roster um, that can really impact our team and, and develop as well. A lot of the guys we brought in, uh, you know, the scouts were excited, the coaches were excited, the coordinators were excited, the head coach was excited. Um, so I'm pumped about the direction this team's going, and, and we put a really good first step into this.
1: And so, you know, so they're excited about it, and they have reason to be because, you know, again, they, they had obviously purged some of the roster, made some of the moves, like trading Khalil Mack, and now none of the guys they're going to get is going to be a Khalil Mack in this draft. I mean, at least it would not appear so unless somebody ends up surprising but they got they got numbers and that's what they want because they talked going into the draft we need to get more athletic we need to get faster and do all those kind of things and they came into the draft with needs at both wide receiver and on the offensive line as well that's not where they went with their first two uh picks they had two picks in the second round they went defense instead they went with washington corner kyler gordon uh, ranked by some as the sixth best corner in the draft, and then they grabbed a safety Jaquan Brisker from Penn State nine picks later. So they get a couple guys, both levels of the secondary. Here's what Polls had to say about how they approach those picks from a need versus talent standpoint. Again, when you've got needs, wide receiver and offensive line versus talent available.
3: I'm, a, I'm an offensive line guy. Like Obviously, I, w- I would fire away at all of them if I could, but... It's, it really comes down to the preparation it comes down to the board and, and where guys are valued and and this year where we sat to me there were two good starting level defensive players and I would have made a huge mistake for this organization to say you know what let's just leave them there let someone else take them and then we're gonna go to offense where they're not on the same level <clears throat> and then you're kicking yourself a year or two later when that guy's at a you know an all-pro yeah, I just did what I needed at the time. It's, it, so it, again, it comes back to discipline and doing things right. When I felt like that's going to be a decision that we're all happy with.
4: And, and
1: I, I like it. I like the fact that they went with more talent. If you want to be a championship, you know, it's just like recruiting. You want to be a cha- in in college. You want to be a championship roster. You got to have higher end talent around. And so, you know, why take why take a, a third round guy in the second round just because well that's a position that I need you know they need help all over the roster because of where they are and they feel like they've upgraded at you know both levels of the secondary and those are those are you know those are both the areas of need as well. so I like the fact that they did that. I like the fact that he stuck with his board, especially being a first- time guy, you know doing the draft as a first- time general manager and all that stuff he, he didn't seem to reach and then at the back end of the draft, Again, he went out and he made some trades and got more guys for the roster. They picked. They did pick a wide receiver, uh, Velas Jones, from Tennessee in the third round. Then they didn't pick again until the fifth round. And they made two picks in the fifth, three in the sixth, three more in the seventh. And here's what Poles had to say when he was asked if he expects all 11 of these guys now to actually compete for jobs.
3: Yeah, I won't put limitations on, on where they're going to fit. May it be a process where you start depth and work your way into a starter. It it may work that way. There's going to be some surprises we see across the league all the time where guys shoot to the top quickly and they earn that trust and and they make plays and they're rolling. So obviously you hope for the best, but there might be a process. It takes time. This league's extremely hard um, and tough, and there's a lot thrown at these guys. Um, But that's why we really emphasize the makeup that that they have inside of them because – they're willing to go through the hard times. They're willing to listen. They're willing to put their pride away and start from the bottom and
1: work up. So that's Ryan Poles, the Colts, or not the Colts, excuse me, the Bears general manager. The Colts had a pretty nice haul themselves. They ended up with eight draft picks overall, one in the second, three in the third, uh, one in the fifth, and two in the sixth. So, you know, they they kind of ended up with, you know, their their picks were closer, you know, four total picks between the second and and third so half of their picks came in, in either the second or the third round and then safety Rodney Thomas from Yale in the seventh round Colts general manager Chris Ballard asked afterwards if he thought his team needed an influx of you know some new competition for his team and his roster
4: I think we needed an influx of youth young. Know, we're, we're I tell you we're still pretty young um, but you know it's the, you know, the group from 18, you know, now they're four years in the league. Um, and we, you know, one of our big objectives was we wanted to add, a, you know, as many good, young, talented players as we could to create as much competition as we could. Look, we all know what makes people better, having to compete. Um, and we think we've added some guys that's going to, you know, push that, um, that competition to the level, you know, to another level.
1: All right. So uh, Alex, or Alec rather, Pierce, wide receiver from Cincinnati, was their first draft pick. They got him with the 21st pick of the second round. Pierce is a guy, 52 receptions, 884 yards, eight touchdowns for the Bearcats last season. And this, you know, again, when you talk about need and talent and all that different kind of stuff, this is a guy they feel pretty good about. According to ESPN Stats and Info, Pierce. The new Colts wide receiver led all FBS players in catches with 13 and 521 yards on go routes since 2019. So, in other words, they're getting it going downfield with that. Now, one you know caveat. Now that's that speaks to his speed and, and that kind of stuff. But one caveat with that is you're talking about college defenses, you're talking about an AAC team, and you know all that different kind of stuff where. You know the the coverage is not as good, but still he led everybody. You know, so that 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 covers a lot of different people. But here's what Frank Reich, the head coach, says on if he thinks Pierce is going to be able to play right away.
4: Yeah, it's going to be very. It's be the same every year. I mean, we're we're talking about this as an offensive staff the other day before the draft ever even started. We're just saying. You know, this year, as much as any year, like any skill, there is no debt chart. We're just competing. You know, we're rolling and roll guys through. I mean, it's the NFL in a sense. Everybody knows that's the way. That's what's great about these guys. They all know that we're going to put the best guys on the field. So um, we'll roll through. Everybody got a chance to compete.
1: I like it, Frank Reich. You know, he's been around meritocracy. Go out and prove yourself, and then you'll get on the field. You know, that's that's what sports is supposed to be about. From the top down, but especially, you know, I, I think in uh, professional sports. But tight end was another area of need for the Colts. They grabbed six foot seven, two hundred and fifty three pound Jelani Woods from Virginia with their next pick. we remember talking about him quite a bit when the Fighting Irish played at Virginia last season. Then they got another six seven tight end, Andrew Ogletree from Youngstown State in the sixth round, and Frank Reich seems to like that tight end room quite a bit.
4: Yeah, I feel good about that room. Um, As you know, the offense really wants to be tight end centric in some ways. Um, A lot of playmaking goes on in the middle of the field. Um, You get get unique matchups. There's a lot of things you can do formationally. There's a lot of things you can do when you put multiple tight ends on the field at the same time. Um, But you always want to have enough good players that, that you can put those different personnel groups on, uh, on the field. And, you know, it's interesting. We go into this draft every year, and I think I say to Chris every year, and almost in the team, there's a sense where as a coach where, you know, you love your guys, the guys you already have on our roster. And, and so I, we always I always start with the mentality like hey we we don't need any draft picks we're good <laughs> anything we get in the draft is a bonus. I really feel like that like I I don't make that up I, I really do feel that way um, but that being said you know there's other uh, there's a lot of players that I'm telling you know Chris and I are talking about I love that guy or you know I'm listening to what Chris and his staff are saying and we're engaging and oh love that guy yeah I see it the exact same way or this. so. Um, when we get to add pieces, it's fun and it makes us, you hear us talk about, we want to be multiple and the tight, it starts inside out and the tight end position is really important.
1: So there you go. Frank Reich, they needed tight ends. They needed wide receivers. They got uh, themselves a wide receiver. They think he's a pretty good one to help out Michael Pittman. And, uh, you know, they also talked a little bit about, um, T.Y. Hilton, and uh, we'll get, let you hear kind of some of those thoughts coming up on uh, on tomorrow's show from uh, from Chris Ballard on that. But, you know, I, more or less, they're still kind of reevaluating where T.Y. Hilton is right now. We uh, also plan on talking more Colts draft later this week. Jake Arthur from the Colts Sports Illustrated website will uh, join me on Wednesday, and uh, we'll, we'll uh, kind of get his thoughts on this Colts Draft. Coming up next, Kevin Austin goes undrafted. USC has ticked off Pitt head coach Pat Narduzzi. Talk about those storylines and more with Brian Driscoll from IrishBreakdown.com. It's Budweiser's Weekday Sports Meet brought to you by Budweiser, the King of Beers, locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend. Sports fans, this bun's for you. Tim Growl, State Farm Insurance. Save money on home and auto insurance with Tim, serving both Indiana and Michigan. Call Five seven four two three two ninety nine eighty one 232 Barnabys of Mishawaka and Granger serving our community while serving Michiana's most favorite pizza since 1978. And the Food Bank of Northern Indiana. Hunger's a story we can end. Find out how at feedindiana.org. Brian Driscoll joins me to talk some Notre Dame football and draft and all that kind of good stuff coming up next on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Budweiser's Weekday Sports Week continues on Sports Radio 960 AM WSBT. Joined right now by Brian Driscoll from IrishBreakdown.com. Now, my friend Bobby Hensley, who joins me a couple days a week for Rapid Fire. He's a big NFL fan, but he can't stand the NFL draft. And I know you said, you know, you don't watch a lot of NFL, but you actually watch some draft. How much draft would you say you ended up watching this weekend, Brian?
5: I had it on the entire time.
1: Did you? Okay.
5: Did I pay attention to every word that was said? No. Right. (laughs) Right. But it's at least on the entire time. And I, and I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm one of those nerds that like has my, spreadsheet out and i'm entering in who was the latest pick and you know all that kind of stuff so yeah i'm that guy
1: oh i'm that guy okay i see i didn't realize you were you were yeah. you know that that into... i've been that way
5: since i was a kid i mean i was i was a okay. draft junkie before i mean like as he is going back as a kid so
1: you grew up you know like idolizing mel kuiper jr basically is what you're saying
5: um uh, what he did, sure. Well, yeah, I'm
1: not. That's what I mean. You know, as my career can, choice has shown, we can all. We can, yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, you both have you know very distinct opinions, so you know, there's have, nothing wrong with that.
5: I have great respect for Mel Kuyper and people like him. It's like I say the same thing about Tom Lemming in recruiting. I, sure. I don't agree with Tom Lemming on everything, but you know what? Like he was a pioneer that opened up an entire industry for people like myself to go through. Right. Right. And much love and respect. Same thing with Mel Kiper. I mean, you know, as much as I dislike the banter between him and Todd McShay, it's, it was odd. It's I did really see odd.
1: that tweet actually this week. Yeah, it was just it's so weird,
5: but there was a moment where it's like almost like they were getting hammered for how bad the feedback was. So they had to have like this love fest in the, uh-huh. and the late in the thing, and it was like, you know, the only true thing Todd McShay's ever said, uh, was, you know, Mel, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be here. And it's very right. true. I mean, you know, maybe someone else would have come along and started it and whatever, but I mean it wasn't, it was Mel. And I have, I have great respect for, for him in that regard. Well, Cause y- it's, it's hard to do. You know, we, it takes guts.
1: Yeah, we we because when you are a pioneer, you're going to take some hits. Just like the whole, you know, we played when the draft started last week, the infamous Bill Tobin, you know, who the hell is Mel Kuyper and all that stuff when he ripped right. him for, for you know, the 94 draft. You know, look, yeah, Mel Kuyper wasn't a guy who had any real connections to the NFL, but he had a passion for, for doing that and – you know, like everything that is kind of like there weren't all these mock drafts going on when Mel Kuyper started right. up. You know, so there's there's a lot. You know, that that whole industry has come a long way since Mel Kuyper kind of, you know, put his own neck and reputation out there and kind of got got the ball rolling with it.
5: And, and wasn't it over Trev Albert?
1: It was Trev Albert so, and Trent Dilfer.
5: Yep. So uh, it looks like uh, it looks like uh, Mel was right.
1: That's exactly right. <laughs> that's exactly that's right. why he's
5: that's why he's employed and Bill Tobin is not.
1: Yeah, and then a few years later, job. Bill Tobin is gone. Bring you know, bring in Bill Polian. He drafts right. Peyton, you know, and then he had a big right. choice to make, Peyton Manning or Ryan Leaf. And as you know, right. as someone who's followed it, like that was not You know, that was split right down the middle in in terms of who, you know, who thought who about, you know, or who thought what about
5: who. Yeah, I'd argue if you look at the national analysts that there were more people leaning towards Ryan Leaf than Peyton Manning, if I remember back then. So, you know, look, it's easy to look hindsight and be like, oh, hey, but that's what I respect about Mel, and that's what I I try to do with with what I do is I'm going to be wrong. I'm going to have takes. I think they're going to win this game. I think this guy's going to be a good player. I think this guy's going to be good or not good. And I'm going to be wrong, but I respect people that are willing to put their opinions out there to be judged. Yeah. And because, especially now on Twitter, it's like, no, you know, people sc- screenshot, save things mm-hmm. and, you know, all that other kind of stuff. I'm just hoping for that moment that you're wrong about something. And, you know, but I don't care. It's, it's fun what I do. And if you don't believe in what you're saying, then you probably shouldn't be saying it.
1: There you go. He's Brian Driscoll, IrishBreakdown.com. He's you know you, he's always got a message board. You can find him on Twitter. You know, so if you want to go at him, <laughs> you know I'm where accessible. to find him. That's right. Very I'm accessible. <laughs> accessible. That's right. They do a mailbag every week for that. Matter. That's right. So That's right. live mailbag. Well, uh, you know, I definitely thought, and I think you and I agreed on this. We definitely agreed on this. Kevin Austin would have benefited greatly from coming back for another year. But I also thought he would have at least been drafted instead of yeah. ending up a free agent signed so what do you think of where kevin austin was you know is now in the whole situation he went through over the weekend
5: well you know it's it's unfortunate that he didn't get drafted but at the same time he got a two hundred fifty thousand dollars guarantee from the jacksonville jaguars and and so he clearly was coveted it was one of the bigger deals that any of the non-drafted free agents got but in the reality is he missed out on a lot of money yeah right i mean if he would have been a third round pick a year from now, he could have got some NIL cash at Notre Dame the next year and then gone out and maybe let's say he's just a fourth round pick. Well a fourth round pick is gonna make a whole lot more than an undrafted free agent making, you know, four million dollars or I mean two hundred and fifty thousand mm-hmm. dollars. Right. And so yeah, he he took he he bet on himself, but it was in my opinion the wrong bet for a, a host of reasons including the fact that this year's draft class was three times bigger than last year because there were so many kids that took advantage of the extra COVID years the last two years, that there's just so many more kids in the draft class. And and when you've got as many you know, red flags as Kevin had on f- film and off the field, true. it's just this wasn't the year to, to have that many check marks against you.
1: Yeah. Can you think – I was kind of racking my brain. Can you think of a bigger miscalculation in recent years by a Notre Dame player like this
5: I mean the first one that obviously pops in my head is Darius Walker I mean that's the one that always kind of pops in my head but yeah I I just as I think recently of guys that that had a year and should have I mean you could say like okay Kyron Williams but I think Kyron still made the right decision yeah it's it's not like he came back next year he's going to go run a 4-4 at the combine right I mean he is what he is and I and I don't know if there's anything to be to be gained by him coming back Kevin had a lot to gain and and you know he, he made the wrong decision, and he had some people. I mean, his agents, Drew Rosenhaus, like mm. uh, that kind of surprised me. Yeah. Is just like okay, there's a lot of people that miscalculated on Kevin Austin's draft yeah. status because I don't think Drew Rosenhaus is signing someone he thinks is going to be a you know a late round undrafted free agent at this point. Though. Yeah,
1: exactly. Well, and you know, just like you said. Yeah, two hundred fifty thousand dollars. That's that's a nice you know little sign, but it's big difference from being a a guy who was drafted one and two. Two hundred fifty thousand bucks. He could come back and make that in nil next year and sure. get better and go higher in next year's draft. Sure. So sure. I just wonder if part of it was just Kevin just didn't want to. I mean, there's
5: the injury risk of injury, right? And does he? He's got a degree. He's does gone he want to? Yeah. I, you know, somebody said, like, he didn't really want to go to, through school again. I don't know I don't know where he was. He was a four-year player. I would assume that he was on pace to graduate. And if he wasn't on pace to graduate, then that explains why he didn't come back either because you can't get a fifth year at Notre Dame if you're not on pace to graduate on time, which I think is a little weird. But, uh, yeah, it's my understanding of the rules. So, end of the day, whatever the reasons were, it didn't work out for him. Yeah. And, you know, I hope he's focused on – like, somebody asked me, do you think he regrets it? And I said, I hope not. I hope that he's not worried about it. I hope. He's like, yeah, hey, you know what? Use this as fuel, you know, chip on your shoulder. And yeah, but then also hear the reasons why you didn't get picked and, and use those as say, hey, okay, it's not just about me having, like Kyron Williams can have a chip on his shoulder, right? He wasn't picked till the fifth round because he's too small. He's not fast enough. Like things, you can have a legitimate chip on your shoulder for Kevin. It's like, well, you got suspended for a year. You, you were a terrible route runner. You couldn't get off the line of scrimmage against press. Like there's nothing Kyron Williams could have come back next year and improved upon. He's already a really good player. With Kevin, it's about, like, dude, you got to take your craft seriously. And if you're willing to do that, you can have a very long career in the National Football League. Sure. Because if you look at that Jacksonville Jaguars depth chart, take away where he was drafted, he's got a golden opportunity in front of him to play with a great, talented quarterback in, in Trevor Lawrence and, and a, in a receiver depth chart that outside of LaVisca Chenault is kind of eh. You know, so if he can get his head on straight, put in the work, he's got a chance to turn that undrafted free agent situation into a, hey, where'd this guy come from? Conversation in a couple years.
1: What'd you think of uh, Jack Cohn signing with Indianapolis? He looks looks like maybe a, a good shot to you know to make a roster down there to me. Sure, I mean you, you look at the two guys behind him. I mean James Morgan.
5: I I I don't think there's any question that 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 he'll have a chance to beat out James Morgan, who was a fourth round draft pick. I by the jets i think a couple of years ago which was a <laughs> little questionable and sam erlinger is a loved him as a college quarterback really fun college quarterback but i, I don't know if he's got the arm mean the one concern you have about jack cone is okay he doesn't have a great great arm mm-hmm. well, i think he's got a sh- little stronger arm than sam erlinger and it's and sam was a six-round pick last year so it's not like the colts have invested a ton of money into him so at the end of the day it's going to be hey whoever proves himself to be the best guy is going to get the job there's not like a a big, you know, gar- big chunk of guaranteed money they gave to some first-round draft pick a year ago that if uh, Jack Cone comes in and outplays him, that guy's still going to be on my, my backup quarterback because we we gave him a $30 million guaranteed contract or something like that, right? I mean, that's that's the thing. So I think it's a great situation. Frank Reich, I think, is a really good quarterback's mind. I think Scott Turner's system is one that fits Jack's ability quite well. And look, two of their last three quarterbacks have been Phillip Rivers and Matt Ryan, so they're clearly not too concerned about mobility from the quarterback position. Right. Uh, which I also think fits Jack. They they want to get the ball out quick, someone who can make quick decisions, get the ball out quickly and accurately, is what they're looking for. And hey, guess what?
1: That fits Jack Cohn to a
5: T. Yeah,
1: you know, and I just played a clip from Frank Reich at the at the end of the first segment where he was asked about these new picks and do they have a chance to compete for jobs? And he basically said, you know, we're not we don't go into a, a season basically with a depth chart. It's everything is best man right. gets the job. And like you look at the fact that they just drafted Jacob Eason a couple of years ago high in a higher round than they did Ellinger and Ellinger is the guy still on the bo- you know, on the the roster. Now, I, I think that tells you Jack Cohn's going to get a fair shake down there,
5: right? At the end of the day in the NFL, you know what they care more about than being proven right about the draft pick here and there is job security.
1: The good ones. The best way to keep
5: your job (laughs) – exactly. And the best way to – and I think Frank Reich is. He's a professional. Yeah, He played the game. He was a backup quarterback. I think he understands the value in having a dependable backup quarterback. And, and he's going to understand, like, at the end of the day, I'm going to keep my job because we win and lose football games. And I don't care if you were a second-round pick, third-round pick, sixth-round pick, or undrafted. If you give us a better chance to win football games, if I can count on you if my starting quarterback gets hurt more than I can count on that guy, I don't really care where you're picked. And if anything, mm-hmm. in this era of big contracts being handed out to people, they got a big contract for Quentin Nelson, some other people, then, then there becomes some of these late-round draft pick guys and undrafted free agent guys like, look, I can save myself some money having a Jack Cohn compared to a veteran quarterback who I still got to pay a million and a half dollars. Yeah. So there's, there's those types of decisions too. But at the end of the day, who gives me the best chance to win football games? And that's who the good, as you said, the good coaches are making their decisions based off that, not, gee, I got to prove that my draft pick was correct.
1: Yeah. Brian Driscoll, Irish Breakdown com. I saw you were doing a little, um, you know, projecting toward next year in terms of the draft and Notre Dame guys. Let me let me ask you this over the next, let's say, two years. How many first round picks do you think this Irish team ends up with?
5: They have a chance for at least five.
1: And, and I was thinking right it, in that range, four to five.
5: Yeah. And part of it depends on who comes out early. You know, I mean, my five. So I've seen mock drafts already come out that have four guys going in the first round next year. And obviously, Michael Mayer, Isaiah Foskey, Jarrett Patterson, and and uh, Brandon Joseph, yeah, all been mocked in first rounds at different points in time. And then you talk about okay, let's just assume they all come out and three of them go in the first round. Well, that doesn't include like a breakout from Cam Hart that type of thing. Well, then you look at the next year and you start looking at you know potential breakouts. You know if O'Reilly Mills can break out. But I'm more along the lines thinking Blake Fisher and and Joe Alt who, as I've written about at Irish Breakdown, Notre Dame needs to start recruiting as if they're not going to have them beyond the 2023 season. Now, if you do, great. But you need to be prepared to not have them because they're that good and they're going to have that much experience by the end of the 2023 season. I could see one or both of them coming out and being a first-round pick. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I I think that number is going to jump And The reason we did that, we always do sort of a post-draft thing, but the reason we took that angle is because we had a lot of people like, hey – is it, is it bad for Notre Dame that they only had two guys picked? And I'm like, no, it's not, because most of their best players are coming back. I mean, that's the thing is of, when you look at the impact players, the only two impact players they, that they really lost, like this guy was just a, a really difference maker, was Kyron Williams and Kyle Hamilton. Now, Kevin Austin could have been, right, but Kevin Austin disappeared in some big games this year, which yeah. is the reason he should have come back. Your difference makers were Kyron and Kyle, and you lost them. One of them only played half the year anyway. You know, if Foskey would have come out, he'd have got picked. Jason Adamiole would have got picked. Jarrett Patterson would have got picked. Cam Hart would have got picked. Now they might not get picked as high, but they would have got picked. And so the draft class could have been bigger. But a lot of these kids wanted to compete for a championship. They wanted to improve their draft stock. And I think there's a lot of faith in Coach Freeman. That that I've talked to different people that if if Coach Freeman wasn't here, maybe we might have made a different decision. Huh. Which led to you know if Coach he stands not here, maybe if I not if you know so there's a lot of things that have factored into it, and there's a and there, that's why there's a lot of excitement in this football team of these kids thinking like, hey, I didn't just come back to improve my draft stock. That's part of it, but we got we got some a mission we're trying to accomplish, and if they accomplish it, then then there's. There's gonna be even more guys drafted. I mean, yeah, Georgia getting their third string tight end getting drafted. That if they lose in the semifinal game to send to, to Michigan, they they don't have 15 guys picked this weekend. That's just the nature of the beast. Mm-hmm. Same thing with LSU a couple years ago. I mean, you know, it's just NFL does that. I don't understand why. They put a lot of hype <laughs> on the SEC, which I understand to a degree. But as I pointed out in the message board post, if you look at the all-pro team last year, There were more Big Ten plus Notre Dame players in the all-pro teams than there were SEC plus ACC. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. And and I I said this, I was in a business lunch today, and I said, you know, think of all the Alabama players that have been taken in the first round over the last 15 years. How many of them become stars in the NFL? And he can only really name two, Derrick Henry and Julio Jones. And so we'll now do the same thing for Notre Dame. And it's three, Harrison Smith, Zach Martin, and Quentin Nelson. So a lot of these guys from Alabama have been good players, but they've been they haven't been where you think they should be based on where they were drafted, and sometimes the whole is better than the parts. If you catch my drift.
1: Sure. Sure. I get you. All right. I've got this last question. I probably should have asked this first because we're gonna. So it's I don't often sympathize with uh, Pat Narduzzi at Pittsburgh, but this whole thing with Jordan Addison, the Blitnikov Award winner. Um, It still hasn't been announced that he is definitely transferring, but all this stuff came up over the weekend. You know, possible transfer to USC, and the reason is a rumored three million bucks in NIL, and just you know, what what do you what do you make of this whole thing? I'm with you. I don't often side with Pat Narduzzi, but I hope
5: (laughs) that Pat Narduzzi fights this to the T. I mean, the kid's not in the portal, and he's out in LA negotiating. And they right. say, "Well, it's not the USC coaches directly." Doesn't matter. The rules of portal very clear. You cannot have parties external to you, but that are working on your behalf, refer talking to parties that aren't the kid, but are related in some way. So you can't have a booster calling the kid's high school coach, or mom, or aunt, or uncle. Those are clearly against the rules. And, and if the NCAA doesn't step up and do something, then they might as well just say, hey, look, let's be honest. There are no transfer portal rules. Because if this isn't a violation, then nothing is going to be done. Yeah. And you're you're going to put Nebraska on probation because they had an analyst that was coaching on the team on special teams. Right? That's what you're going to put Nebraska on probation for. But this blatant cheating that's going on at USC and, and Texas A&M and Tennessee, you're not going to do anything about? then why do we have an NCAA at that point in time? Yep. I hope Pat Narduzzi fights this, and I hope if, they don't do, if the NCAA doesn't do anything about it, that he gets real belligerent about it. And I will have his back. I can't believe those words are coming out of my mouth, <laughs> but I will have Pat Narduzzi's back on that because it is disgusting at this point in time. Yeah. And I have no problem with Jordan Addison getting his money, but do it the right way. You're yeah. clearly cheating. This is clear tampering. There are rules about this. And they're flaunting it. They're like, we know the NCA is not going to do anything, so why do we care? Yeah. And it disgusts me.
1: All he had to do is put his name in the portal, then you can talk to whoever you want. Basically. That's right. So it's, it's That's amazing. Right. All right, Brian Driscoll, IrishBreakdown.com. What else is going on right now? Lots of recruiting. It's going to be a busy May again.
5: And as, as you said, if you're curious about what we were talking about with the 2023 draft, we have a couple articles on that this week, but also you know, just tons of just starting to look into the team. What's this team going to look like? What's the schedule going to look like? And we're really going to start zeroing in on – these next couple months of recruiting and getting ready for the 2022 season, which I think is going to be a fun one.
1: All right. Sounds good to me, Brian. We will uh, talk to you later this week. Have a good one. Sounds good. Thanks for having me on. Yep, absolutely. Brian Driscoll, irishbreakdown.com. we take a time out. More Budweiser's weekday sports beat is on the way on Sports Radio 960 AM WSBT. Budweiser's weekday sports beat continues on Sports Radio 960 AM WSBT. Well, we've talked a little NFL draft this hour. Actually, probably a lot of NFL draft. A lot of it. First segment, spent some time with it with Brian Driscoll just a few minutes ago. But uh, I wanted to play this clip for you. It'll take about a minute here. This is Kyle Brandt from the NFL Network. He is one of the co-hosts of Good Morning Football. He comes out. NFL draft in Las Vegas he is wearing the old Zubaz pants do you remember those you know kind of the crazy striped pants and he's wearing a Buffalo Bills jacket and he is making the draft pick they have him come out to announce a draft pick for the Buffalo Bills here you go
2: good evening Las Vegas good evening my brothers and sisters on the NFL network and good evening western New York I find it perfect that the Bills are drafting in this city of luck, of chance, because you all know, and I know, the only thing in this world that can stop Josh Allen is the flip of a coin. So Mafia, mount up, and every other fan base, listen up. Chiefs fans, Raiders fans, Bengals fans. In my hands, I hold the most important pick of this entire round. Because this pick is the only pick who will win the Super Bowl in his rookie year. With the 89th pick of the 2022 NFL Draft. The Super Bowl 57 champion Buffalo Bills select my man. Terrell Bernard, linebacker, Baylor.
1: Woo! <laughs> that was Kyle Brandt from the NFL Network. He was into it, and uh, before the whoo there at the end, he had a a, uh, a chicken wing, you know, one of the drummies in his hand the whole time, and he was shaking the drummy while he was going through all that. He took a big bite out of the wing, and, uh, you know, right after he announced the pick, so good stuff. Cal Brant, uh, a lot of fun there from the NFL Network making that pick for the Buffalo Bills. Kind of put a uh, a good cap on the NFL draft this weekend. Uh, gonna take a timeout after, uh well, before the top of the hour. I've got a Sports Center update for you. Uh, you know, included in there, a uh, little spoiler for you. Notre Dame women's basketball picked up another transfer. This weekend, they got Texas center Lauren Ebo. She's the third transfer uh, that, that Neil Ivey has added to her team in uh, just a span of the last few days. She averaged eight points and 6.7 rebounds for the Longhorns that went to the Elite Eight last year. And the connection with Ebo is uh, Coquis Washington, fighting Irish uh, assistant coach, who used to be the head coach at Penn State. Ebo started her career at Penn State. She played there for two years and then uh, after Coquise Washington was gone, she transferred to uh, Texas. And uh, Washington now going into her third season on the Fighting Irish staff. So they'll be reunited. And uh, they picked up some size with these transfers and a guard as well. So uh, things looking pretty good as Neal Ivy augments her uh, Fighting Irish roster. And then the flip side of that, Abby Prohaska, fan favorite for the Irish the last few years in her career at Notre Dame. She announced she's transferring to San Diego State. We'll take a timeout. Full Sports Center update is coming up. And then in the six o'clock hour, we've got Rapid Fire with Bobby Hensley. And Pete LaFleur is also going to join me. We're going to talk about Notre Dame's 2002 College World Series reunion weekend that just passed. We'll do that coming up on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. It's hour two of Budweiser's weekday sports beat on Sports Radio nine sixty AM WSBT, and uh, Pete Lafleur, longtime friend of mine, is—he is, he was the Notre Dame baseball team's sports information director during the two thousand two College World Series te- uh, season, and the team, along with their head coach Paul Maneri held a 20th anniversary reunion this weekend at Notre Dame, made their way out to a couple of uh, games, played some golf, you know, enjoyed each other's company, beverages, all those different kind of good things with the help of the Notre Dame Monogram Club as well. And Pete is on his way back to Colorado right now, joining us from, what, a truck stop in the middle of Iowa? Is that right?
6: (laughs) Correct. One of many, but yes. Nice. A truck stop.
1: Very nice. Hey, Cell phone reception sounds good. Knock on wood, so we've got that going for us. Well, Step one. Good to good to good to talk to you again, Pete. We uh, we saw each other plenty over the weekend, and uh, you know saw you know got to catch up with a lot of different guys from that 2002 College World Series team, which was uh, a lot of fun. How many times did you hear Javi Sanchez say "bro" this weekend?
6: A lot, um, <laughs> pretty much every time he s- started telling a story or something. Usually, it's like, usually it's like no bro, and it's, there's like some kind of hand movement to kind of push <laughs> you to the side a little, right? Like he's coming through a door or something. Yeah, the Silver <laughs> Fox is his new, new nickname with that. The flowing gray mane that he he now is sporting. It looks good. Conditions. It
1: looks good. Yeah, yeah, he's he's got like long, like you said. There are, there are a few guys who still have really good hair. You know, for being in he there.
6: Like he, I say, remember, I don't know if you hear me he say, he looks like he stepped off the set of a like a Hallmark Channel or like that the 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 the, the uh, cable channel that has all the 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 shows that women watch or like a soap opera <laughs> or something. He looks like a yeah. He looks like a he looks like a B actor from some kind of. Um, you know, very, very tanned and rested, and he was looking good.
1: Yeah, Javi was the shortstop on that year's team. He ended up being a catcher the two years after that. He is a wealth advisor now, and he, he kind of rattled off a list of some current, you know, Major League Baseball players, um, you know, that 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 he right. advises as a, as a wealth advisor. But he's, you know, he's one of the many great stories of that team, Pete, as you oh. well know, you know, because... He ended up being the shortstop because of some, you know, really bad misfortune that that team started off with, along to you know, on the way to to starting off. What was it, nine and ten or something like that? Right. Because of some significant injuries to the two shortstops in front of him.
6: Yeah, I mean, uh, Matt McCree was kind of the really Matt McCree was the the top recruit in a great recruiting class. I mean, the the pitchers in that class ended up getting. Um, more more notoriety in the 2002 season, but Matt McCree was a, a great high school quarterback from where I am right now in the state of Iowa. So I'm driving across the country, and uh, that's right. But he was also a great baseball player, and I was going to be the shortstop, uh, de facto shortstop, with Alec Porzell graduating, and um, and he also was possibly going to close some. He's kind of one of those, um, you know, strong-armed infielders who could come in and close some games for you. And he, I mean, he did play in the Blue Gold series in the fall, and then was injured and then you referenced um, another injury was to another Matt who was a freshman, Matt Edwards,
1: who,
6: who was going to play some kind of reserve infielder role. Then all of a sudden he was, became the shortstop for the first few weeks of the season. And as you and I were recalling, um, he was injured, uh, hurt his leg uh, back going back for a pop fly in left in the Notre Dame left fielder crashed into him. And, 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 that was a member, you know, the big delay. We could, it was terrible. We could hear him, yeah, you know, yelping from the press box. And uh, so then all of a sudden, it's like who's going to be the uh, starting shortstop? Kind of an important position in, in the game of baseball, uh, shortstop. Yes. And um, <laughs> and uh, Javi, I think, was kind of slotted to be maybe like a backup uh, infielder. He was maybe going to like back up Andrew Bushy at third, frankly. I think, and um, yeah, and then he was thrust into a really important role. And I think he did have, you know, some errors and things like that but you know he could really i I can't remember what the term is but he could he had a great turn to first base um he did you know he had a very strong arm and that's kind of why he was able to transition i think later to catcher um and that's where he ultimately was drafted as a professional was as a catcher so yeah but hobby hobby is just kind of a great all-around story just because when you add in his personality and his kind of this charisma and whatnot Pete we got
1: definitely to, one of a kind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is for sure. And he's yeah, he is. He is he is such a great guy on a team of great guys. There's so many, you know, both unique personalities but also just great team guys who, you know, and they've become so many of them great family men as well. And you know, and that's you know, a lot of you know, coaches talk about family, but that that, that you know, that's always as you well know been a big thing. With Paul Maneri and that you know that extended family of of everyone who's played for him and and you know that's something that that really struck out to me this weekend is just getting to see that atmosphere when those guys get back together and and some of them also bringing back their own families with them.
6: Yeah, and I think I think frankly some of them had not seen each other in roughly twenty years. Yeah, which is crazy. But they picked they picked up right back where they were. Some of them it was in you know 10 years since the 10 year reunion that they had but uh yeah there was it's funny that first night we were at aurorics Oro- 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 right by the campus um and it was a friday night and it was fairly loud and you know you and i are struggling with our different differing levels of hearing and i was right. trying to remember which was your good ear and whatnot but, and you know it, you would hear you would be trying to j- follow a story that someone was telling and if you, if you could see them talking you could kind of read the read their lips but if you could uh-huh. it, it was hard and so I I had meant to like follow up up with you and say like how did that one story end that so and so <laughs> but now I can't even remember which, which stories I,
1: meant, but I know
6: <laughs> but it was but it was it was great and there was just like so much laughing and um and frankly you know that on Saturday night at the Morris Inn Paul kind of opened it up for some guys to to share their own pers- thoughts and you know some guys were were fairly emotional and um, you could tell they were pretty overcome and and excited and you know it's pretty condensed time period uh that they were together but i i think it really meant a lot to them and i'm sure a lot of them right now are just so thankful but also kind of reliving that o2 season but just their whole experience as a student athlete at notre dame and what it meant to them and and um and how it helped them later in life you mentioned one thing and like you know we you talk to these guys and they kind of tell you what what they're doing and like you know you're a radio guy i'm a he like and he's kind of you know stock equities and he's kind of nodding and just like it sounds impressive. <laughs> you're thinking like <laughs> it sounds impressive, but not totally sure what they're saying. And right, um, but but um, but I know um, I know one of the players I think is already like close to buying a second house in South Bend, and others have leads. I and then they're just there are. I heard some of them are already making plans for the World Series, hoping that the current Notre Dame team makes it there and getting in on houses that they could rent out when, or whatever, just crazy stuff. And, yeah. But they're all tremendously successful, and that's a testament to Notre Dame as a school and really the baseball program and what Coach Benary built, built. Adam Sargent was a great academic advisor for the team uh, during their years, and I'm sure certainly, certainly that helped.
1: No, You know, that's a great point because you talk about, you know, we always hear about the 4 for 40 and, and that kind of stuff, and, and – you know, I think a lot of times to people who don't, who don't really get to, you know, see some things up close, it just sounds like a recruiting pitch. But I mean, we're talking about these guys 20 years later and that four for 40. It's like there are, you know, there are a couple millionaires in that group, right. I think, or, you know, at the very least one and a couple other who are pretty close to it. And, you know, and it's right. and it's not because of. What ended up happening in their baseball career? It's because of the degrees that they had, the kind of degrees that they have, the kind of people they are, and and what you know they're they're just a lot of successful people in that group outside of the world of baseball.
6: Definitely, and and you mentioned Major League Baseball, and of the players who played on that team, only one reached the major leagues. Matt, we yeah. mentioned Matt McCree earlier, and he made made the big leagues with the Twins, but he didn't play that entire O two season. Mm-hmm. And of course, it's John Axford who, um, frankly. His at the end of his Notre Dame career, he was just struggling with his control, yeah. and um, um, and so if if you would have bet who if, if you would have been taking bets on one guy from that team to make the big leagues, I think Axford would have been pretty far down the, li- the list. Although he was had a you know the term was he had electric stuff, he had just you know an amazing you know amazing fastball and movement on pitches and things. But um, I told you earlier today, I wanted to clear up one thing about John Axford that's floating around there in the internet and stuff that I noticed. That right. You know, he ultimately finished his career, his fifth year, at Canisius College, and it was, you know, it's my understanding, it was just kind of a thing where, they, the when he thought he might want to come back for a fifth year, fifth year the scholarship wasn't available anymore. But it's been, and, and what, it, people should know that when he made the big leagues, you know, he called Coach Maneri, Paul Maneri, the Notre Dame coach, from the, the minor league locker room he was in when he, when he got the word. So, the, you know, that's a strong relationship there, there's no bad feelings or anything, but... I've seen it portrayed as like the, the Notre Dame pulled his scholarship and stuff like that, and just simply not true. And you know, lazy journalism or whoever. You know, it's Wikipedia, so it's some guy in his mom's basement typing that or something. But, yeah. um, but anyway, the point being though that that's the only guy that made the big big leagues and got a big league contract it's from the guys that played on that um, college World Series team. But like you said, there's some trem- tremendous success stories beyond baseball
1: for sure. Pete Lafleur with me the. Notre Dame baseball sports information director for the 2002 college world series season and many other seasons both before and after but from that season specifically you know I I know how you work Pete you know it's it's nose to the grindstone and you know you don't come up for much air once you get started (laughs) and you know that season is you know especially when you get toward the end with the NCAA tournament, you've got more media involved, especially once you get to Omaha. Do these kind of reunions for you? Do, does it maybe give you? Does it give you some different perspectives of things that maybe you didn't, you know, get to fully see or appreciate during that run?
6: Um, I, I think it does, but it, it's funny because I still was. I still was doing things this weekend when I should have just been... <laughs> still working.
1: Still Mike, working.
6: Like, <laughs> you know, I was I built that little memorabilia table in that little... There was that little time frame between the game and the and the thing at the Morris Inn, and I could have gone, you know, out, out for drinks with guys and visited. And so I I do kind of... Believe it or not, Sean, I'm actually kind of a shy person. It's kind <laughs> of... I'm, I'm sort of like, I think one of those... I think it's like an introverted extrovert or extroverted introvert or something uh-huh. like that. And so... Um, Sometimes I don't, I don't, I don't, it's, it's not my, my jam when it's like really a lot of people and stuff like it. Plus, and I'm usually just trying to record the moment and take photos and, and things like that. But, but yeah, I definitely like, you know, I'll just share one, one of great interaction we did have with Brandon Valoria and this is kind of an inspiring story for people to hear, but yeah, um, that's Brandon, a- Brandon Valoria was a heavy set Hawaiian kid who came to Notre Dame was on that team. Um, and right now, he's, um, I asked him, he's 70 pounds under his playing weight now. Um, and granted, it's been 20 years, but he's been down for quite a while, you know, in, in amazing shape. But the, the great story quickly was he he um, he didn't know anything about Notre Dame. A, a teacher recommended, he knew he was Catholic, and there was one of these universal Notre Dame nights out in Hawaii, and he went to it. And Kirk Suzuki, uh, former player at Cal State Fullerton, big league or obviously, his sister was at Notre Dame and was... Was there, and she kind of gave a testimony, and then he talked to her. Uh, Kurt had played at, a, at one of Brandon's rival high schools, so like he kind of, he basically, he he was hoping to maybe go to MIT. He got into Notre Dame. He accepted admission sight unseen. Had never been to the campus. He had an aunt who lived in Milwaukee. She picked him up at the airport. They drove out to Notre Dame. Not the most, not the most pretty drive, you know, across <laughs> I-80, but he was overcome with the with the uh, campus and some of his roommates were going to t- walk on tryouts and he had, he had brought all his baseball gear cause he wanted to think he might play like intramurals. And they're like, they said, Brandon, come along, come try out with us. So he goes and he ends up, you know, making the team cause uh, cause he could throw strikes. Yeah. He, he joked that they, they put him on the gun. And it was the first time he'd ever been on a radar gun and he threw like 78 or something <laughs> like that. But I, but Sean, you remember, he was kind of like a setup guy. He'd yeah. come in and he could, he'd get you three outs. You know, he wasn't gonna like throw gas by people, but intangible, like an amazing teammate, an, an, an amazing guy, as so many of these guys are. And uh, you know, he basically was telling me like this, this kind of. And I'm one of these people where I have a lot of fluke things happen in my life, and that was definitely one for him. That like, what if he had had different roommates who weren't trying out? He probably he probably would have never gone to walkout tryouts. No kidding. Now JP Ganya was also in those tryouts, but they kind of, they knew a little bit about JP. Mm-hmm. He he wasn't so much an invited welcome, but they had heard of him. They had not heard of Brandon Brandon Valoria from Maui, Hawaii. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, so, um, but anyway, so he he became an important part of that bullpen, and I think a great teammate. Um, he he was telling us a story about how he met his wife. It's kind of a funny story. But then um, he's got two daughters. He lives in the Albany, New York area, about as far from Hawaii as you get in the U.S. And um, but she she was training for races and she said like hey you should come you should run with me it's um you know it'd be safer that I'm not running my right. so but he really struggled with it at first but he, he's ended up running um I don't know the, like marathons and whatnot I, I see what he posts on Facebook and um so it was just a really inspiring um story of somebody who uh who got it and he was just so thankful for how Notre Dame changed his life but then somebody who also you know addressed you know what could be a serious health issue later in life and really i mean you and i have dropped a few lbs but he's he's inspiring for sure and i just wanted to share that story i thought you'd get a kick out of it and you know it's not it's not always the star players and that's the thing too we were talking about all these guys who've gone on and done amazing things and many of them are guys that hardly played but still were important members of the o2 team and they easily could have left but they've uh, they've gone on and and maximized their owner experience even if it wasn't a lot of stats
1: yeah That's for sure. You know, one of them was a guy like Mike Holba and I was talking to him. The guy is six foot eight. And I was seriously, (laughs) I was straining my neck, you know, to look up and talk to Mike Holba, but you know, and again, a good guy. He was back this weekend, Matt Strickroth, you know, two of the, you know, the, uh, the more physically prominent guys, you know, coming off the bench on that team. But yeah, a lot of guys who, you know, were, were, were in there for each other on that 2002 college world series team. Was there, was there a, a highlight of, of the weekend for you. I mean, you you were over there for a lot, and you know saw those guys a lot.
6: Well, I wanted, Speaking of Mike Holba, I wanted to mention, like, you know, there was the photo they kept they had all over of the the team at in Omaha in front of the the stadium, and yeah. walking back when it was it was Rosenblatt. And you know, Mike Holba is not in that photo because it's a twenty five man roster at that point. Yeah, and he, sent, I think his number was twenty five, but he, I think they basically just kept another pitcher rather than having Mike be in there, you know, and it's just, it comes down to like, wow, we could have to, you know, ideally you're going to probably need a picture, you know, and yeah. if you had to, one of your pitchers could hit or something like that. And so, you know, I, I pulled Mike aside when I saw him, like, after I realized that I was like, Hey, you know, next time we do this, I'm going to make sure they include the, the photo from the beginning of the season that has all the guys that were on the team. And I, I think the people who made that poster and stuff didn't, didn't realize it, but, and he, he was like really appreciative. He's like all oh, that thanks. That really means a lot. But you know, that's the that's the things you kind of have to be attuned to. That um, you, re, you know, it's kind of a bummer. And I'm sure all the players would agree that it should be the whole team. It's kind of cool that that other one was in Omaha. But uh, answer to your question, I did get I get get a chance to visit with Grant Johnson, who was the yeah. you know, essentially the number one pitcher, um, on that team because I he was not at the tenure. Uh, unfortunately, he had to leave like in the second inning of Saturday's game. So I just went out and visited with him out um outside the stadium and we're we're recalling his his dad. Um, why am I blocking on his name? Um, I totally remembered his But anyway his own. Yeah, his, dad his, dad dad. his his dad his dad was not at all a Notre Dame fan, but um when when they came in the visit he told Grant, "Like this is really where you should go. This is this is a great place for you." And he became a big uh, Notre Dame fan. Grant has three kids now. They they came to the Toledo game. Um, his oldest son won a an Ian Book autographed jersey, and it's cool to see that because sometimes you don't know. Grant was one. Of, we talked about Don Axford making the big leagues, but you know, Grant was a first round pick of the of the Cubs. Yeah. And um, I can't remember all the specifics, but I do know he had some some, some uh, injury issues, including yeah. his sophomore year at Notre Dame. And you know it's it's crushing when you you can kind of envision that yeah I'm gonna make the big leagues I'm a first round pick I've had this good college career and so I asked him about and I'll try to release the the audio at some point and pass it on to you but you know he definitely you know looked back and said mentioned how much Notre Dame meant to him and the experience and his teammates and and um, was remembering Coach O'Connor and the recruiting process and. He basically just said, like, you know, that he came there as a, to Notre Dame as a really immature kid, and it helped him become a man. And so it's always great when you can see that perspective. And uh, I think I was talking to you earlier today about how, like, we as PR people or radio, you know, you always want to be careful where like, you don't want to say, you know, you don't want to say, like, hey, John Axford, he made, he made the big leagues. Let's talk about him. You want to be a little more sensitive to um, the fact that the person you're talking to didn't make the big leagues. Oh, absolutely. You know, and, yeah. Like, but uh, but and we called we called him. Some people might know we called Grant Dubber, which is like because his middle, um, initial is W. I can't remember. I think it might be Wayne or William. So, um, and his dad called him Dubber, and it, so everyone called him Dubber. But, um, but it was really cool to see him. And I don't think he's he's seen a lot of the guys over the years. So, I, I would love to see how it all goes forward. I'm gonna try to if if they're up for it, I'm gonna try to compile. Uh, this is, to swaggle fashion, I'm going to try, to try to compile like a list of the entire team and their contact info and the list of their wives and their kids' names and things like that, awesome. so they can all kind of remember and like what, where they work and stuff like that. Yep. And So and then they'll have like access to it because um, and it'll be kind of cool to see as well. I I mentioned to Coach Maneri like I wanted to kind of make a list of all his guys because he's had a lot of guys that went on to law school and medical school and all these impressive things, and, and plus playing pro ball and stuff like that. So. You might remember I had kept a list kind of of his a lot his his former players and so I think I could update that fairly easily. So didn't really answer your question totally, but um,
4: <laughs> but anyway, but it
6: but it was cool to talk. It was definitely cool to talk to Grant and kind of talk to the other guys. And you know, I was thinking about it. I'm probably spending almost as much time driving back and forth from Colorado to Notre Dame as I was the time I was going to be there. But I just kind of had to wait. Probably are. In. And I wasn't even really sure if I was going to be able to go, so I couldn't really work the plane flight and. That way, I was able to throw all that stuff in my car, which I know amazed you. All the old <laughs> media guys, and, and I had a whole, I had a whole bin full of hats, Notre Dame hats that made for a nice. I mean, we walked in cards. and there's
1: a table full of you know the the old media guides from that era and hats and you know there were some some trading some, cards, some of their kids. Yeah, I think the kids really love those trading cards. You know they you know well seeing... they
6: started. I had some that I didn't that I put in a box under the table, like under behind the tablecloth, like hidden. And they they went diving under the table and of were course they and did. I had like They're all kids. kinds of Denver Broncos stuff. <laughs> and there was a Fran Tarkenton card and oh, I was like man. what are you guys doing? You know, it was mainly one of Steve Solman's kids, Luke. Yeah. He really wanted this one Paul O'Toole card and I only had one of them and I told him I had it appraised for eighty dollars. So <laughs> so he had to give it back, but so that wasn't that wasn't totally true, but um but yeah, and you know, Paul O'Toole and I were able to make the uh, the play the old video. So, got it. Um,
1: got Paul it working. Was, Paul was that joking was good. About
6: how he was, Paul was joking about he how he was the was more was street smart. Not it's <laughs> not so much book smart. So so the street smarts ruled the day, and we were able to make the video work. And so that was definitely exciting. But well, but what about you, Sean? What really struck you? Let me interview you real quick. What 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 hit you most from the weekend?
1: Oh man, I, you know I I think it was was just you know because this is the first time you know because they've had some of these reunions over the years like the five year it seemed like it was a tailgate before a football game you know so I wasn't really there the 10 year you know they they got together I think more kind of after a game and you know so I kind of popped in you know but this time between Friday and Saturday kind of it was just you know like how quickly they're able to you know you just fall back in with each other and you know just seeing all these guys hanging out with each other and obviously hearing the stories and some like that. But again, I just, you know, kind of going back to that, that family atmosphere. You know, these are guys like any family that you, that you pick. It's not always, you know, going to be, you know, kumbaya and fun times and roses and all that stuff. Right. You know, there were disagreements, you know, because there are, we know with any team, with any family, you know, there were disagreements. There were things, you know, not everything, goes smoothly but just to see these guys kind of you know jump back in with each other and and just the family the family atmosphere you know that they kind of seem to have and and then you know getting to you know like Paul Maneri, anytime he's able to hold court like you were talking about Friday night when we were over there at O'Rourke's and and hearing you know paul and and all of his stories like that you know that's that's always a good time but then to hear some of the players kind of chime in with their stories and then to hear you kind of chime in and you know sort of semi trying to correct paul from time to time and then, <laughs> and then he wasn't really going for that i don't think but that was fun it was a lot of fun
3: yeah there
6: was one time i found something that paul said was not right and but i said don't worry i won't i won't tell or uh, <laughs> so we we kind of winked at each other we kept we kept the mythology going on that one that's so. right real, real quickly one thing i think it's important to mention is um this this 2002 team is fired up about this 2022 team yeah like when this 2022 team goes to omaha th- there'll be a lot of o2 guys there are rooting them on and um and they they're very supportive of them and they love the way they play and sometimes you get like you know a team that's you know kiss our ring like we did something that no one else has done da, 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 da. You know, or you've got like the, the the annoying miami dolphins undefeated team you know the cup crack crack uh, cracking the champagne,
1: champagne and
6: yeah and then you know and it's just like okay like why don't you just focus your energy on like being supportive of the current its current edition but one thing that struck me and i'm sure it did too you know uh Coach Link Jarrett was there um, at Morrison and, and addressed the team. And he talked about how they have a, an acronym for Irish and the H stands for honor and how it's honoring the past players and, you know, especially teams like the O2 College World Series team. And I also, but I also think coach Jarrett couldn't help have been, but have been blown away as, as you were mentioning by the spirit and the unity and the camaraderie. Like he said, he's never had anything. He, he was part of some great Florida state teams. And he's never had anything like that where people, where they get back together or anything. Um, but, but, I, but when we were, when, when the guys were golfing and we were kind of talking, several of the guys were like, I could totally play for a, a guy like coach Jarrett. You know, he, they, he, he really resonated with them and in, in just the, the short words that he said. So, I hope Notre Dame and you know everyone knows that they're in, they're in good standing with with the current head coach. And one one quick thing too, there is plans for the Stanford weekend. I don't know the date. I think it's somewhere in mid-October. There's going to be an all class baseball reunion. It sounds like that's pretty firmly set. So, anyone listening who knows if you're a baseball alum or you know people who are baseball alums, tell them to kind of try hopefully come to the Stanford weekend and it'll be a big celebration of of all areas of Notre Dame baseball and hopefully it'll be you know an annual or semi-annual thing it'll be pretty cool
1: Pete we're uh, I'm I'm already way behind do you do you have a couple more minutes like you can wait through a break and and we can talk for a couple more minutes before you wrap up. okay I I might we might we might as well just keep this going as far as we are right now but but I've got to get some of these I got to get some of these in before you know I get too far behind and I can't get them played before seven o'clock
6: I told you I'm shy, so I don't know what we talked about. That's right.
1: That's right. The extroverted introvert. That's right. (laughs) All right. So I'll take a timeout. Pete will be back. We'll share more stories from Notre Dame's 2002 College World Series reunion. And, uh, you know, I'm glad he brought up the Link Jarrett. Well, we'll, you know, we'll kind of touch more on that, the current team, and, uh, you know, Link Jarrett and some other thoughts. Coming up next on Budweiser's Weekday sports week. Budweiser's weekday sports beat continues on Sports Radio 960 AM, WSBT. Notre Dame baseball's 2002 College World Series team held its 20th anniversary reunion over the weekend at Notre Dame. The uh, members of that team and, and uh, their head coach from that uh, 2002 season, Paul Maneri, who of course just retired after last season at LSU, uh, you know they were all out there. Went to a game Friday. Went to a game Saturday. Had a little golf outing yesterday. You went to the golf outing. Pete Lafleur is with me, the the uh, sports information director from that two thousand two team. You went to the golf outing yesterday, and I know you're not a golfer. So how how'd that no, I work out there? I didn't
6: really. I swung by at the end. My as you probably know, my um, nephew Paul is a junior at Notre Dame. He's president of O'Neill Hall, just yeah. rotating out, but um, and he's like our 12th or 13th family member to attend Notre Dame. And that includes a few spouses and whatnot and cousins and things like that. But um, so I went out to breakfast with Paul and then caught up with the golfers um, a little later as they were finishing. Cause I think they started at eight um, and it was, I think it was maybe 12 of the players. We had about 23 players show up for the entire event, which is a pretty good chunk. And for people who are, remember that team, Andrew Bushy was the only starting position player not there and then uh Chris Neesel and John Axford, um most notably from the pitching staff were not there, but but uh plenty of familiar faces and like we said all the everyone on the team played an important role, even if they weren't um you know, a, a regular and whatnot. So but no I didn't I I was not I was not knocking the little white ball around of course <laughs> um, but you know I know you But it's great I love that course. I actually was Way back in the day, I was the golf SID when the course opened, and I—I I didn't realize it, that. It, it no surprise for you. I—I I created a lot of the um, in the early write-ups and photos and things of that of the course, and so I remember a lot about when it was first starting. And I think it's just a, an amazing facility. They're digging up the road by there and stuff, so it's kind of the access is kind of off. But yeah, but yeah the guys had a blast, and one kind of one last visit with with. Coach Maneri, I, we got a photo on the back porch there. Um, yeah, so so that was kind of a nice thing. I think I think there you know, some of the guys are pretty. I think I think Bill, Chris Bill Myers is, is one of the better golfers, but he actually had to. He was trying to get a flight, and he so he, only, he only played a few holes. But, oh, Okay, um, right. but in general, they're pretty good athletes out there.
1: You know, again, you're the sports information director. You're you're basically a rolodex of information for that 2002 team you know is there any you know we've talked about the reunion I get but anything specific for you you know for that team you know that season you know moments you know you know quirky things anything specific to that team that 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 stands out to you 20 years later Pete
6: Hmm. well I will say in general that era but th- and this is all, and this is just a, a side thing, but I think you, you will agree. Um, and this is all indicative of the way Paul ran this program is they were very respective of people like you and me and Mike Bean and Bob Nagel, the, the support staff.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And,
6: um, we, we felt like we were members of the program and that made you care even more. But I, you know, we, I think we all would have cared about the job we did, but I think that's an important lesson. Um, you know, because I've, you know, we, we've all been involved with teams that don't you can tell they don't fully respect or understand what you do, or, um, you know, you know, make, make you know I'm an easy guy to make fun of or whatever. <laughs> I, I know that, so, but um, but um. But, but you're still our guy, they, Pete.
1: You're still, you know, like yeah, I said, yeah, family I, is family, right? <laughs>
6: exactly. But I think they all were respectful and um, and and very spirited. I mean, it was kind of a unique thing. We we were talking about it about how. You know, that fresh that senior class were given a lot of responsibility as freshmen. And I think Coach Maneri kind of envisioned building the program around those guys. Um, and, you know, a lot of people may, may not realize really the, the team that was set to have an amazing season and really be the best team, at, you know, was the 2001 team that had, you know, Aaron Heilman and yeah. Danny Tamayo fr- fronting the rotation. Heilman had had not signed with the Minnesota twins. It was called a sandwich pick and they drafted him between the first and second round. And, um, so that set everything up. Alec Porzel was again, was the shortstop and, um, and, but otherwise it's pretty much the same, the same team that you had there in 2002, but they just didn't quite, they had, they just weren't able to get past Florida international in that one regional. Um, but, uh, but then again, those, those freshmen became in 99 became seniors in 02 and just were like, you know, an amazing group of leaders. Um, and even somebody like, even somebody like Drew Duff, who's who's, who's very, very goofy and, you know, a back, yeah. a, a release pitcher. And he, I think he's he, he goofier up,
1: now than he was back then. <laughs> yeah.
6: He messed up his knee. You know, he, he got to hit in a game and then against Bowling Green and like swung so hard, he messed up his knee, but everyone thought he was joking. And then um, I, I had forgotten. I guess he didn't was able to play the rest of the year, and so that made Paul very hesitant the rest of his career to let pitchers hit, um, just on the, you know, the the Drew Duff rule or whatever you might want to mm-hmm. call it. But um, um, you kind of you kind of threw me for a loop on that one question, but no, I just think I mean, you know, it's yeah, you're nine and ten, and Brian Stavisky gets a a ball, you know, off his face from this. Hard-throwing guy at West Virginia, and he has to wear a. You know we we had two different guys there in their career. With Steve Solomon, also wear the football helmet, baseball, you know, helmet version. And but they just they just battle through different things. And I know that's kind of a cliche and whatnot. But um, but they definitely they definitely wanted to go to, down to Florida State and improve what they were all about. And you know, that's like the stage. That's the stage they put themselves up. The crazy thing is, you know, we were talking about great Grant Johnson. Sorry, Sean, things are just kind of popping in my head, but That's like, okay you know, that, that that famous game against South Alabama, twenty-five to one. You know, Steve Solomon, whatever, goes six for seven. Like all these guys, had, um Tool had five hits. Grant Johnson hits a guy and it gives up a double, it gives up a run, and then retires the final twenty in the first batter. inning. Yeah,
1: that. Yeah, and that. like
6: yeah, and it's um. But like, if they had lost to South Alabama, they would have had to, what like I guess beat Ohio State, or and then like beat South Alabama twice. I don't think they had the pitching depth to probably advance. Right. So they never would have gotten to Florida State. They never would have gotten to Omaha, um, and you know so like, and then Chris Niesel dev- delivered the three-one win in the the final game at Florida State. So that was two freshman pitchers, um, who probably. Who's shown well, two of the biggest games ever in Notre Dame history, especially in any kind of postseason game?
1: I want to I want to uh, be sure because, like, a guy who who I think definitely you know goes underappreciated from that team, just based on what you're talking about, is Pete Ogilvie. And right, Ogilvie started the opener of that regional that weekend, the day before South Alabama. You know he he got roughed up at Florida State, but again, just if you know, because essentially they, they had Ogilvy go in the opener and, and he's their number three guy. And then they go grant Johnson day two. Chris Niesel starts in game three. And Chris also pitched in relief there in game one. But if, if Ogilvy right. doesn't give them what he gives them in the opener against Ohio state, again, just what you're saying, the whole weekend turns out completely right. differently and that it, you know, Omaha maybe never happens. So yeah. Yeah.
6: yeah. And, um, yeah, and you know, it's it's great to see Pete Ogilvie. Um He's also well well below his playing weight and look, looking great. <laughs> well, you know, uh, my wife you know,
1: kept saying that guy looks like he could still be a college kid. You know, he looks yeah. very young for his for you know what forty something. I would 42, say in maybe. general,
6: all you know, I would say in general, all the guys look very good. You know, above average for a twenty year old. Twenty years removed from from college. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, Better I, than we
1: did twenty but, years on. Oh <laughs> uh,
6: uh, yeah, um, that's a given. But but I just think um, I, I know before too. We were talking about um, the current team. I, I don't know if, that, if you were wanting to steer that way at some point. Too, we've but,
1: got about two um, minutes here, just so you know. We've um, got about two minutes. So we've got to edit. Well, a little one thing, this
6: real quick, is I just think it's amazing what what they're able to do with they don't they don't have a Grant Johnson, Chris Niesel, Pete Ogilvy John Axford set up with like four, four really strong starters that could go seven or eight. You know, I think most of the year this year in game two, they've only gone like four innings. And then I think it's Rao comes in, you know, typically and it comes in, but they, but they're making it work. And the main thing is that, that the position, the position player group reminds me a lot of the O2 team. Cause a lot of guys who, who can do it and just very fundamentally sound. Yeah. And they just start getting hits. And then next thing you know, it's an eight run inning. Like they started game two. Over the weekend, and it seems like they have a lot of guys who can come up with big home runs, as opposed to like Nico last year. There's not just one big bopper; they have a lot of True. lot of guys who can who, who, who can rise who rise to the occasion. So, I think that's a tribute to uh, to what Coach Jarrett's doing. And um, I'm, you know, I'm as you know, I'm a pseudo media person now, but I try, <laughs> so I try to remain neutral. But it'd be great to see them, you know, make a run and. I think I saw a projection where they last week going to last week they were a 5 C national 5 C which would put you in position to host a super regional which would be awesome. Yes, but, much
1: different so, than last year potentially if that holds up. Yeah, so, yeah, definitely. Big time, big time. So,
6: but yeah, uh, that the, the the O2 team just was, was just a was just a,
1: a special season and
6: you know, it just again it was probably one year late from O1 and it was just it was just an outgrowth of what coach Maneri was building. And, you know, people don't realize Brian O'Connor was the pitching coach then, and he's built an amazing program in Virginia.
1: Yep, national and, championship. Uh, you know, yep. you
6: basically had two amazing coaches running that program, um, yeah. and that's that's a pretty good
1: recipe. Yep, to, pretty amazing. To get things started. All right, Pete, I uh, okay. enjoyed it as always. Okay. Safe travels on the rest of your way home. And uh, are you going to get back tonight, or are you going to stop and rest somewhere?
6: Um, whatever I need to do. Okay. But I will send you a text, Mom, letting you know I got
1: it. <laughs> All read. right. Okay, okay thank so you, you, Peter. Know. I will talk to you later. Okay. <laughs> bye. Bye-bye. Right, Pete LaFleur, Notre Dame's uh, sports information director from the 2002 College World Series team. We're going to wrap it up with that. Budweiser's Weekday Sports Meet brought to you by Budweiser, Tim Grahl State Farm Insurance, Barnaby's of Mishawankin' Granger, and the Food Bank of Northern Indiana. We'll talk to you tomorrow night, WSBT
0: South Penn.